Sometimes we think of hope as wishful thinking. But what we just sang about, the hope that is ours, is a living hope. It's a reality that is there. You know, sometimes we can say, well, I, I, I hope, uh, I, I hope the, the Cubs win the World Series this year. That's wishful thinking. But, we, but when we say, you know, uh, when we hope for the morning, you know, if you've ever had a sleepless night and you've laid awake all night, without being able to fall asleep. And you lay there and you just hope for morning. You know it's coming. You know it's going to be there. It's something you're looking forward to and you're looking forward to that time in, in, in which that sunrise comes. That's the hope we're talking about. It is sure and it is real because Jesus Christ is our living hope. He is alive and what He has promised is there and it is sure and as we await that time in which we come before him or until he comes again it is a sure thing we give an offering as a recognition that we live in that hope in that living hope that is ours because our savior lives as the ushers come forward to receive our offerings let's pray together father thank you so much for the reality that is ours in christ not just wishful thinking but the reality of that hope, the reality of what is there. And, oh Lord, we are so grateful. And it's not just for eternity, but it's for here and now as well. Let that hope guide us. Let that hope be not only that beacon that drives us forward, but that power in which we live in now. May this offering remind us of who you are. May it go to help others come to know the reality of that living hope in Christ, in whose name we give and in whose name we pray. Amen.
Thank you. We're going to go ahead and dismiss the uh, children for Children's Church at this time. Go downstairs with their helpers and folks that uh, help them. Thank you. sometimes the work that goes into uh, them doing children's church down there it's uh, really appreciate the time they put in because it's not just down there it's as they get ready as well um, I had physical therapy the day that I began working on this sermon and um, my therapist always asks me how I'm doing where my pain level is uh, how I'm doing with the exercises I'm supposed to be doing and those are two very different questions uh, because I don't always do as well on the exercises uh, you know, as, I, as I'm uh, supposed to. I told her, though, uh, I said I could mark down three very specific days in those last two weeks. I could mark down three very specific days where it felt like I really took a step forward. You know, uh, and, and it was just, yeah, I, I could, uh, you know, I could mark it down there. Um, and it was like each one of those days was noticeably better than the day before. Uh, you know, and it was just, it's just such, such a, uh, you know, a, a great feeling. Um, because sometimes what a difference a day makes. You know, it really does. Uh, what a difference a, a day makes. And that is... A message of Easter, you know, one of the one of the messages of Easter is what a difference a day makes. Let's pray, and we're going to get into this a little bit more. Father, thank you, thank you for the reality of of life that comes along and unfolds sometimes in ways that we're not ready for, and we get knocked back, we get we get uh, kicked back on our heels, maybe even back further than that. But that's not where you leave us. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that you are there for us and with us. That what you, what you did on the cross, paying for our sins, and what you did in coming back to life, giving us life even now. Not just for eternity, but even now. Father, don't let us confuse what it means to have life with you and to have life and it's not all this stuff around us. We know that and we say that every once in a while, but we also get caught up in it once in a while. I pray that now you would help us to get caught up in you, caught up in your word and the reality of what not only you have told us, but what is and what will be. So guide our thoughts by your spirit, we pray, to our hearts, we ask in Christ's word, in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. Uh, we're going to start with verse 57. That's on page 917 if you're using a pew Bible. Uh, what we're going to do, we're going to start with the events right after Jesus' crucifixion. Because when we begin looking at those things right after the crucifixion, it's going to help us get a better understanding as to where we're going and what we're, what we're really looking at and focusing on today. Uh, these verses here come right after Jesus dismissed his spirit and, and died physically. Uh, 
Uh, he, as, he, as Jesus was here on earth and walking on the earth, he was a fully man, fully human, and still fully God. Now that's hard for us to grasp and hard for us to sometimes relate to, uh, but it's the reality that we see in Scripture. It's a reality that we see in his life, and even as you study his life and as you read through the Gospels, <clears throat> while he is here as a man, 100% human, you will see, uh, you will get glimpses every once in a while of his deity. You will get those glimpses of the fact that he is, was even here while he was on earth, that he was still God. Uh, for example, when, uh, the, this, when he was just calling his first disciples and, and they came to him and he said to, um, was it Andrew or Philip, uh, that I, I, you know, I saw you when you were still under the tree. You know, well, how, how could you have done that? When we read in Scripture and we see where it says that, uh, that he, he didn't disclose himself because he knew what was in a man's heart. Well, how could he, how could he, possibly, how could he possibly do that? And you get glimpses of that. You get glimpses also, you know, of his humanity when he, you know, when he was hungry, when he was tired, when he uh, slept in the front of the boat. Why did he sleep in the front of the boat during the storm? Well, you get a there. You got the dual picture. He, he slept in the front of that boat because he was tired. He was physically tired, and he could do it because he he knew what was coming. He knew what was happening. Uh, you know, so he was able. To, he was able to do that. You know, he had to eat. He. You know, and, and, and travel. So we see those glimpses. Well, you know, what we see here, this, these verses in Matthew 27 come right after he dismissed his, his spirit and died physically. That, that's the picture of Scripture always gives of death is that separation of the spirit of the soul from the body. Not an end, a separation there. Uh, just like when it speaks of, uh, you know, that we that we are are dead in trespasses and sins. What are we, we are separated from God due to sin. We are spiritually dead. We are separated from God due to sin. That separation, physical death, that is that separation of the soul of the spirit from the body, and that's what went on here. And the gospel, uh, you know, in his gospel, John tells us that that uh, Jesus' death was it was confirmed by the Roman executioners. You know, there's the, the first group that it was. It, 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 what unfolded was really a, a direct result of the Jewish leaders' request. Uh, they wanted the men who were being crucified. They wanted the men who were being crucified uh, to have their legs broken to hasten their death. <clears throat> Just very briefly, you know, when someone dies on a, on a cross when they're crucified, they suffocate to death. Uh, they have their arms spread out. And um, they, you know, they are they can inhale, but they are unable to exhale because the weight of their body hanging down. They, they, you know, it expands the lungs, and they're able to inhale, but they can't exhale. And the only way they can exhale is to push up, uh, to push and pull themselves up to be. And then, and so they they suffocate. They suffocate to death because this was happening on Friday. The Jewish Sabbath was the next day, and the Jewish leaders did not want those bodies hanging on the cross. So they sent the Jewish, they sent the Roman soldiers, centurions, to break the legs of those on the cross so they could no longer push up. And so they would hang there and suffocate to death. But we're told that when they got there, it says that when... When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. 
You know, they saw that he was already... These were men who were trained at crucifixion, which, which always resulted in death. They didn't crucify you just for a little while. You see, that wasn't the goal. The goal of crucifixion wasn't, well, we're going to crucify you just for a few hours, and then we're going to take you down, and man, you're going to learn your lesson. No, that wasn't it. It was a death sentence. It was a death sentence. This was their job, and they were good at their job. And they had to be good at their job, because if they weren't, then they were the ones who would give their life, you see. If a Roman soldier didn't carry out the duty he was, that he was supposed to perform, then he had to then suffer the consequences of, of what was supposed to happen. So if, if they didn't die, you see, then the Roman soldiers would be the ones who would die. They were really good at their job. And these guys who were good at their job, they came up there and they, to, to break his legs. And it says they came to Jesus. They didn't break his legs because they saw that he was already dead. And it is confirmed again, really, by the same group who were sent to hasten that death. Uh, the very next verse tells us, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I have been with more than a few people as they have breathed their last, and those who have been very seriously ill and, uh, and battling serious diseases. And I have been with more than a few people in that situation uh, where their lungs are beginning to fill with blood and with fluid. And if they don't get that out, uh, the result is death. If they can't, if they if they can't get that fluid out of your lungs, the result is death. And here it says that they 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 put that spear in there, and out flowed out of his lungs. There flowed that blood and water. You see, there was no doubt in the minds of these trained executioners that Jesus was dead. His death was also confirmed by Pilate. Uh, he released Jesus' body to be buried. That's where our Matthew 27 passage picks up. You're wondering why I had you turn there. That's where our Matthew 27 passage picks up. Look at verse 57, beginning with verse 57. It says, When it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Now, in, in the other Gospels, we get the detail that when they came, Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. So he checked, you know, to make sure. And here it goes on. It says, verse, uh, you know, in, in verse 58, he approached Pilate, asked for Jesus' body. Then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in a new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. Now, now don't close your Bible because we're going to pick up here, here again, you know. Pilate released his body because he was convinced that Jesus was dead. He did his due diligence in sentencing him to death and to, to follow through to make sure that that happened. And he was convinced that Jesus died. And here, Jesus' death is also confirmed by his followers, those who loved him. It was confirmed by his followers, those who loved him. They, they, they handled him. 
They moved the body. They prepared it for burial. Had he not been dead, they would have done all they could to nurse him back to health. We grasp at any sign of life. We, you know, when I've been in the hospital with people, and we, we grasp at any sign of life. And if there's a sign of life there, you know, that, that's what we hold on to. That's what we look for. That's what the doctors and the nurses look for. That's what we look for. Had he been alive while they were taking him down from the cross and they were, they were moving him and they were wrapping him and they were preparing him and they were, uh, uh, you know, they put the, the spices on him and they were wrapping his body. If he would have shown any sign of life at that point, they would have done all they could to nurse him back to health, yet they didn't do that. They buried him in the tomb because they knew he was dead. Now, they were in the midst here. They were in the midst of what Jesus told them after their last Passover meal together, after what we refer to as the Last Supper. In John chapter 16, it says, A little while, and you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while, and you will see me. Now, they were, they were in between these two moments. They were in between these two moments here. Jesus had died, you see, and they were, so they were, they were past this first part where he says a little while that you will see me, you know, you will no longer see me. And then he says, but again, then, then you will see. They were right there. They were right there in the middle of that. He says, then therefore, some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he tells us? A little while and you will not see me again. And a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father, they said, what is he saying? A little while. We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to question him, so they said, he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I said a little while and you will see me? Again, a little while and, and you will see me. I assure you, you will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now. But I will see you again. I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, but no one will rob you of your joy. Now, it, it, they, were in, they were in the middle of this. They were in the middle of what Jesus had told them before he went to the cross, and they were right stuck in the middle of this, where they, they weren't seeing him now. You see, because he, he physically he had died, and he was buried in that tomb, and they didn't see him. Now we have all lost someone much sooner than we ever expected. In the 42 years that I've been a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals, and in all those years, I've only done one funeral uh, where the family of the deceased said, well, it's about time. Uh, you know, and, and I, I was a little surprised. I did not know the family. The funeral home had called me to see if I could come and do this funeral for them, and uh, so I, I did. Uh, and when I got there, I sat down with the family to talk to find out a little bit about this person. And uh, the wife says, oh, he's a horrible man. It sticks out, you see, because... This is not what we expect to hear. This is not what we expect to hear at all. You know, and that's why it sticks out in my mind. Because we've lost people much sooner than we ever wanted to. And most of us would say death came too soon. 
<clears throat> because we wanted, uh, we wanted another day. We wanted another moment. We wanted maybe even just another hour, just another. You see, Jesus' disciples were devastated. <coughs> For them, life had become unbearable at this point. We know what that's like. When someone that we love, <clears throat> when someone that we depend on, with someone that our life is entwined with, and they're taken from us, it's always too soon. And life becomes a little bit unbearable for a while, and we are devastated. Mark chapter 16, verse 10, it tells us that the disciples spent that next day, Saturday, mourning and weeping. I'll bet they did. You see, that was the Jewish, the Jewish Sabbath day, where no work was permitted. It says they spent that day mourning and weeping. We understand that. They lost someone they loved. And all their plans were destroyed. See, all those plans of what they had hoped, of what they had planned on happening as they spent their time with Jesus, it was all gone now, it was destroyed. And John tells us that, that most likely at that time, even they were doing this behind closed doors, John chapter 20, part of what, uh, what they read, it says, In the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of the fear of the Jews. They were in there with the doors locked. Why? Because well, they were afraid of the Jews. Why? Well, because their leader, the one that they were following, was, was killed. And if he was killed, well, they were probably next in line, you see. And they didn't want that. You know, they, they didn't want that to happen, so they were there. The Jewish leaders, they spent Saturday, they spent the Sabbath trying to make sure that Jesus' disciples didn't pull a fast one on everyone by stealing his body. Pick up again in Matthew 27. Look at verse 62. Drop down to verse 62, Matthew 27. The next day which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. It's interesting they remembered that, isn't it? His disciples, as we read through the gospel, sometimes had a hard time grasping it. They remembered it. Verse 64, it says, Therefore, give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him and tell the people he's been raised from the dead. Then the last deception will be worse than the first. You have your guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go, make it as secure as you know how. Then they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. You see, they set the guard uh, there that, 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 that uh, Pilate had given them, the Roman guard, again, whose responsibility was to guard this tomb. They put the seal on there, a, a, a seal that, you know, that literally, you know, that they would drip wax or something and, and put a, a signet ring in there to seal that, to make sure that no one broke that seal. Uh, on on boxcars and trucks, you know, sometimes now they'll put a seal on your, go out and look at your electric meter. There's a seal on there. It's just a little metal clip with a wire runs through it that the only way you can get that meter out is to break that seal, you see. And then they know if you tampered with it. 
this is what they did. They put that seal on there. You see, because they, they didn't want their jerseys pulled over their heads, you know, and, and not know what's going on. They wanted to know. They wanted to, they wanted to make as sure as they could that, th- that this tomb was sealed and that nothing was, going, nothing was going to happen. But then they thought it was the end of things and something happened. Some of the women that felt the men didn't... Men, this is, you know, we can, we can all identify and pout with us a little bit. Uh, the women apparently didn't feel that the men did a good enough job preparing his body. Uh, so they were going back the next day to do it right. You know, and, um, you know, so they, they stepped up to help. Sunday morning, it says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. We used to do sunrise service. Not, I, I didn't do it. I used to attend it when, you know, before I was a pastor. And, man, I can remember being out there and freezing and shivering because this isn't exactly the climate to do a sunrise service. And I was wondering, what in the world are we doing out here? Anyway, they went out at sunrise. Now, the passage we've been looking at in Matthew gives us some more details and it picked, uh, their trip back at the tomb. Pick up with me, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, first verse. It says, After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. This is why they went there. They went to view the tomb. They went to see where he was buried. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they became like dead men. See, they were literally scared stiff. I don't know if that's where it comes from, but I'm going to take it. Um, Verse 5, But the angel told the women, Don't be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been resurrected just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, could this possibly be happening? Uh, They ran to tell the disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, good morning. They came up, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. I love the way that phrase appears over and over in Scripture. When, when God moves in a powerful way and fear comes, and the words over and over again come, don't be afraid. And he says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee. They will see me there. What a difference a day makes. What a difference a day makes. They went from mourning and weeping on Saturday. Now think about this. See, they were going into Sunday. For us, it's going into Monday. They were going into business as usual. One of the hard parts of losing someone is getting back to life. We don't want to do it. We don't want to stay where we are. What we want to do is we want to back up, you see, to where they were with us.
They knew life was going to be different, just as it is for us. When we lose someone we love, when we lose someone who's important to us. And we know life's going to be different. And they, were, they went from mourning and weeping to, to, to he's alive? I mean, you mean, you mean he's alive? And, and they, they, went, they went from you know, that to, to knowing he's alive. The Gospel of John picks up where Matthew leaves off. John chapter 20, it says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, uh, the one Jesus loved. I love the way he puts that in there. Um, and said to him, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter came also. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first entered the tomb and saw and believed. Because what a difference a day makes. They still did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went home again. You see, Jesus really is alive. He really is alive. And what a difference that makes. What a difference a day makes. Now, later in that same day, uh, two of his disciples, as they, they were returning to their homes in Emmaus, because, you know, they're still trying to wrap all their heads around this, and uh, Jesus comes and walks with them and says they were prevented from recognizing him until he, they invited him to come in the home and have a meal. And it says, and as he broke the bread, their eyes were opened, and they realized it was him, and it says he was gone from their sight. And then they looked at each other and they said, dude, did you just see that? And he said, I did. See, that's how you know it's a paraphrase. Yeah, uh, uh, he says, I, I, I did. I saw that. Let's go back and tell the other guys because I just can't sit still now. I mean, you know what it's like. It's, it's more than a sugar hype and more than, you know, extra caffeine. You know, and, and so they, they, they you know, they, they get up and, you know, they saw and believed. They got up. They went back and saw that he was, he was alive and they wanted to tell the other guys, we saw him, you know, we actually saw him, you know, and when they, they, when they went, you know, it's just like the woman said, you know, he is alive. And he, so they're with the other disciples telling them that they had actually seen Jesus. And Luke tells us what happened next. It says, and then they, as they were saying these things, he himself, that's Jesus, he himself stood among them. He said to them, peace to you. There it is, you know, that, that don't be afraid. Peace to you. But they were startled and terrified because they thought they were seeing a ghost. You know, I, the only thing they had to relate to was Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I think part of the reason that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead was so his disciples would be able to relate to the reality of his resurrection. That's just my opinion. You know, I, I, I think that's part of why he had them there. And it's the only thing that, that they could relate to. And also, you know, they, they thought they were seeing a ghost. He says, why are you troubled, he asked them. 
And why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were still amazed and unbelieving because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What a difference a day makes. What, uh, you know, because of that day, his followers were witnesses. They told other people what they knew about Jesus and that he was indeed alive. And the truth of what, Jesus, you know, of what Jesus told them began to flourish. He told them, he said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. And so they told people. And because they told people, who also told people, and they told people who told people, someone eventually told me. And the reality of John 1.12 became mine. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Now the word believe here in John in this first chapter, it means more than a mental agreement. When he's talking about believe here, what he's talking about is the, is that the reality that it begins to have in directing my life. You see, it's the believing it and to begin to have it direct my life, that my life is now directed by it. So on May 4th, 1975, I believed in his name and became a child of God. Coming into a relationship with Christ, you know, getting to the place where I was taking God seriously, where his, where my commitment to him was beginning to direct my life. This is what he's talking about when he talks about belief and what a difference that day made. Yeah. You know, there have been, been some days since then I've just been beaten down, you know, and, and worn out. And, um, you know, some days it just seemed to take everything out of me. And it's on those days when I really grasp a hold of the reality of Lamentations chapter 3. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. What a difference a day makes. You know, there have been times when I've lost a battle and I've given in to sin. I'm so thankful for the reality of 1 John 1.9. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I can come, I can confess my sin, I can be forgiven and cleansed. What a difference a day makes. I don't have to live in that sin. Now here's the great thing about all of this. These promises of God, they're for you too. They're not just for me. They're for you as well. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever you're in the midst of, you know, if you have walked away from God, if you've never had a relationship with God, today, today, take God seriously. Take Him seriously. Have this life-directing relationship with Him. The light, He is God, you see, and we are not. And we have this opportunity to have a life-directing relationship with Him. Take Him seriously. Realize there is new life in Christ. New life. All things are made new, it tells us. You know, I am not doomed to my past. I don't have to live there. I don't have to live in the past that was there. I don't have to live in what was dragging me down. I don't have to live in what it was that was destroying me. I don't have to live there anymore. There is new life. And when struggles come, realize that His mercies are new. Particularly when life gets short. Particularly when life gets old. Each and every day. Sometimes, several times a day. His mercies are new. When I remember it, when I embrace it, when I live in the reality of what He has done and who He is, and realize that there is forgiveness and cleansing, Scripture says, from all unrighteousness. Not just part of it, all unrighteousness. Let me tell you, He forgives what we can't forget. Quit beating yourself up with what you did and what a horrible person you were. Because if you've taken it to Christ, it says He forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Don't live in the past. Live in the reality of the new life. And it's all because Jesus is alive and what a difference a day makes. You know, no, you, you are not too bad for God to forgive. I have talked to people, my brother used to tell me that. You are not too dirty for God to clean up. You are not too wretched for Him to love. God is still true to His Word. Come to me, all of you. Every single one of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give that to you. Some of you are weary, and some of you are burdened. Let this day be the day that you come to Him. You know, or the day you come to Him again. 
wherever it is, receive His rest. Come. What a difference this day can make for you. Let's pray together. Kent, I'm going to ask if, you know, can we do that living hope one more time? Uh, So that means, you know, you singing people come back up too. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for what is ours, not because of us, but because of you. Thank you for the reality of new life in you. A a life that, that, that is not because of us, but it is because of you. A life that that has the forgiveness and the strength that we need and that grace that you pour out on us that you will not only forgive and cleanse but strengthen us to live the life you've called us to. I pray that you would help each one of us here not to live in the past, not to live in the sin that we were, not to settle for mediocrity but to grasp a hold of that new life in you. New life that is ours, because you are indeed our living hope. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.